Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Right now, you have a situation where 15 unelected uh, members of the Supreme Court effectively govern Israel. They can decide things that affect our military, our economy, our foreign relations, our battle with terrorism. Is that right? Is that democratic? No, it's not democratic. You want to correct it. You don't say that those other democracies are somehow tainted, are somehow not democratic, because they've, uh, they have a better balance of power. That's Benjamin Netanyahu. And I have to tell you that I think he's right. And it's, it's really kind of, I want to use the word fascinating, because it is. It's fascinating what's happening in Israel right now. It's fascinating that the people of Israel had an election, brought Benjamin Netanyahu back into power after the shared power with of Naftali Bennett, and I, I, even, for, I even forget who he shared the power with. I, I forget the dude. It all went to pot. They were like, yeah, this is not the future. Naftali Bennett is not going to help uh, build uh, the, the strong future of, of Israel. And what we got to do now is uh, have another election. By the way, Yair Lapid. Uh, yeah, I, I would not have remembered the name. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything. TonyKatz.locals.com. TonyKatz.locals.com. The phone number, 833-GOT-TONY. 833-468-8669. That's the number. That's how you get to be a part of the show. So they voted again for Benjamin Netanyahu and the Likud party. Netanyahu said, stated, that one of the things, if I become prime minister, I'm going to do is I'm going to change up the judiciary. And now he's looking to change up the judiciary and people are losing their mind, including there are calls for strikes. Like doctors are going on strike and others. And, and you ask, well, what is he trying to, to get accomplished? I understand two things. Um, I reached out to some people to get a feel for what's going on, who I believe have a better understanding of the ground game than I do. Um, to the extent I have expertise, my, expert, my expertise is uh, the American political scene. I claim no expertise on the Israeli political scene, and being Jewish does not give me any special understanding. One must study it to understand it. I've been practicing, though. What the story is with the Supreme Court is that they don't have a Supreme Court like we do. They don't have a president or a prime minister who makes a nomination and then the Senate, like we do, the Knesset there, could then thumbs up or thumbs down the nominee, right? The Senate engages advice and consent. Really what the Senate engages is confirmation or no. Because, no, I don't think any president actually cares what the U.S. Senate says uh, about uh, a nominee. Or can they be on the court, yes or no, just vote and move on with the day. One of the things that the Supreme Court in Israel can do is change rules, laws, based on what their view of reasonableness is. Reasonableness. That is, that is not based 
on a constitution or a rule of law. Very much it's based on whims, and whims are weird. You can't have whims uh, running things. So their their Supreme Court is strange. So one of the when you take a look at some of the things that they're trying to do, the ability of the Knesset to override Supreme Court decisions with a majority of sixty one votes. There are one hundred and twenty seats in the Knesset. You would eliminate this idea of reasonability. Then there's the whole conversation about how judges are appointed. And then uh, what's referred to as legal advisors. So legal advisors right now, right now, if I have it right, they have the ability to make binding decisions. That's, that's kind of crazy. Instead, a legal advisor should give advice and then decisions get made by the Knesset. That would make sense. So there are people very upset that we're seeing these changes or the possibility of these changes. And now you've got trade unions going on strike. They're coordinating strikes between trade unions and government ministries. Banks, ports, others. So yeah, Israel's going to come to a bit of a halt. And that, of course, is going to take the top-line conversation. Understandably. Understandably. That's, that, that, that's what's going to happen. But now, who is now going to dig into the, okay, what is this really all about? What is this really all about? In my short view of this thus far and I reserve the right to change my mind I thought X learned more now think it's Y I reserve that right change in general frightens people but I would argue especially on this conversation of reasonability that this is a test of people who really like to make claim of believing they're a democracy, but don't like the idea that everybody would have an equal say. If you believe that a court can make a decision based on reasonability, what you decide is who can be on the court based on how quote-unquote reasonable they are. They are, which means, to me, that would fall into line of political favor, or that would fall in the, into line of uh, a, a, a level of connected, not just politics, but ideology. Reasonable. We are t- asking ourselves to take what is the future of the nation and put it in the hands of people who are, you know, like us, you know, reasonable could you imagine if the court was in the hands of Ocasio Cortez and Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar I mean really and truly and the answer is no you couldn't game over man game over exactly you wouldn't want any part of that But when you've done something for so long and you've always had the people in the place to be 
reasonable, well, then it really didn't matter who you elected here or who you elected there because you knew where the power was. What happens when the power isn't there, but actually with the people who were elected, meaning with the people? What if you actually had to base it on something? Perhaps, I don't know, a standard. That's how it's coming across to me. Now, I I tell you that I have people who send me stuff all the time and stuff I read and people I trust and people I don't, but sometimes send interesting things. I'm willing to take a look at this from every angle. But if you have a situation by which, like here, let me, let, me, let me give you this. This is how it was explained to me on the appointing of judges in Israel. So currently, the judges are chosen by a committee of nine members. Judges to the Supreme Court are chosen by three Supreme Court judges, including the Supreme Court president, two representatives of the Israeli Bar Association, and four who are elected representatives. So two ministers and two Knesset members. Two representatives of the Israel Bar Association? Why? So with these reforms, the representatives from the Israel Bar Association would be replaced by two public representatives chosen by the justice minister. So now the majority of the government, prime minister, prime minister's party, would have a majority of the votes for selecting judges. Now you say to me, oh, you mean like how we do it? The president, president's party, if you will, but the president gets to select. The Senate could have a different party. They get to confirm. So in this situation, the party in power is having more of a say in who gets chosen to be on the Supreme Court. That makes perfect sense. Yet there are people in Israel who are saying that doesn't make any sense and we have to now shut it all down and fires in the streets. That seems to me to be people who are afraid to let those who vote really be in charge. As for how they're, you know, how they make their Supreme Court decisions, I certainly wouldn't want an unreasonableness. So this is what's going on. So as you hear about things, this is what's happening. Don't worry, it will be moments before Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar are telling you how this is affecting Palestinian people because those awful, terrible Israelis. What else do you expect from Jew haters? Don't worry about them. But this is interesting because Biden has commented on this. Biden commenting on the internal affairs of another nation? Seems to me that we're watching a democracy actually engage in some democratic process. Things you won't see in Syria or Iran or Saudi Arabia. These things you won't see. Tell me which nation you'd rather be a part of. I'm Tony Katz. In 2022, swimmer Leah Thomas became the first transgender athlete to win an NCAA Division I championship by winning the 500 freestyle. 
The Texas native competed for three seasons on the men's swim team at the University of Pennsylvania. She began her transition after her sophomore season and after a gap year due to the pandemic that forced the Ivy League to cancel all sports. Thomas made her debut as a member of the women's team in December 2021. Being trans is, is not a choice. I didn't have any other choice because not transitioning was not leading me anywhere. That's ESPN honoring Leah Thomas, who is a man, with a segment regarding Women's History Month. It's a flat-out hatred of women. Say it. ESPN hates women. These people who continue to tell women to take a back seat, know their place. So what if you don't get a trophy? My kid's mental health is more important than your kid's trophy. That's what they say. They hate your daughters, they hate your wives, they hate your sisters, they hate your nieces, they hate them, and want to relegate them to second-class citizenhood. My advice to you is, don't let them. Did I say hello? I'm sometimes so into it, I forget. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, I'm not going to... uh, Pretend that this isn't what it is. For the NCAA to do this is uh, not for the NCAA. Well, for the NCAA to allow this is, of course, wrong in a hatred of women. The NCAA is allowing for this. I cannot wait for the guys to start playing basketball. Then we maybe will hear something. Has anybody noticed that this isn't hap- hasn't happened yet? Why hasn't it happened in basketball where where you have uh, guys deciding that they're women and wanting to play uh, in in uh, on women's teams in the NCAA? I find it strange. Do you think the rules will change at that moment? The the continued total lack of respect that the NCAA that ESPN has for women hating women if you believe that men should be allowed to play women's sports in these competitive uh, situations you hate women you're not a good person you're not somebody who believes in equality you are a hateful hateful human being don't forget it because certainly I'm, I'm not about to let you forget it I know exactly what you are Which brings me to, well, the only question that's left. Would I be happier, happier as an OnlyFans performer? All right, all right, all right. I I love the story. It is about an attorney who quit her job as an attorney, right, six months after being on the job, to become full-time at OnlyFans. She was going to make 75000 a year being a lawyer. She's 27. She's made more than 180000 in the first three months of this year through OnlyFans. Now, 
If you have to question whether or not she's an attractive woman, um, you don't quite understand how OnlyFans works. I don't have any issue. You want to go make your money this way, go make your money this way. You can get daily live streams for $7 a month and 1,200 posts and 2,200 videos that she has up so far. That's a, that's a fair amount. And, of course, uh, she posts a nudes on her platform. Now, the, the idea that why be a lawyer when you can do this, I get that. That makes total sense to me. You know, I take radio and I say to myself, wait, if if I could just be uh, create on on digital platforms and the money was better, would would I leave? Would I walk and just do that? I don't don't know. I mean, I kind of like what I do in in, in the places that I'm at in Indiana and and, and the impact there. I don't know if I want to walk away uh, from that, but there's nothing wrong with this. Now, you may disagree with the content. I'm not saying no to that. But this is one of the reasons why we are seeing issues in employment. Why in the world should I show up for a nine-to-five job? I can just have a page on OnlyFans. And by the way, OnlyFans has more than just the, you know, the... um. The uh, wait, what, what do you call it? Yes, 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 yes. Uh, that's not it. That's not it. What do you, what do you, what do you call? Um, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, that's more of what you call it. That's more of what you call it. Who is your daddy? There it is. There it is. Uh, there's more than that. But we should not be, you know, shocked. That people go down this road, this road, or, or, or take this route. But it's not, it's not available to ugly people, is it? I don't know. Maybe there's a crowd for everybody. Because it seems uh, that what we know from OnlyFans are, are people like, I decided to go this route. You decided to go this route because you had the looks and the body to go that route. Let's just be perfectly clear. But it's fascinating. Why be a lawyer? When you could just get paid. Meanwhile, uh, I'll have more updates on what's going on in Nashville. Uh, tomorrow's Nashville, Tennessee, where you have uh, three people dead. And we. it is believed right now that the shooter was a woman. Potentially a teenager. At this Christian school... Just outside of Nashville, Tennessee, a private Christian elementary school named the Covenant School. So we're going to have updates on that tomorrow. We'll get more information because it's going to take a little while for this to get sorted out. Good Lord. Armed with multiple guns, according to CNN. We'll have it for you. Meanwhile, there is growth. There is the fact that nobody has a proper bracket anymore. And then there's AOC. That's all coming up. I'm Tony Katz. So what's the future? How are things looking 
in the state of Indiana as this session continues to head on down the road. Are we going to see uh, that these two sides can actually get something done that makes things better for all of us? Tony Katz, good to be with you. Gary Dick joins us from InsideIndianaBusiness.com on Twitter at IIB, at Gary Dick on Twitter, G-E-R-R-Y, at Gary Dick on uh, the, the Twitter box. If there's one place where there's opportunity uh, for everybody, it's in this conversation of tourism, which is hard for us to get our heads around. And I was just in Nashville, and I will tell you, they understand tourism. We've got a much uh, bigger, much more uphill battle uh, ahead of us. That said, Gary Dick, as you've been doing the, the deep dive, golf makes yep. us money in terms of billions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In fact, a new report uh, is out, Tony. Uh, the National Golf Foundation did this. I think they did it on a state-by-state basis. But the numbers are, uh, are really are stunning. Two billion dollars in economic impact in indiana according to this report which was uh, released late, uh, late last week Twenty-three thousand jobs uh, supported by the industry uh in indiana uh also a big impact uh certainly when it comes to uh charities but as you mentioned it's a big piece uh of the tourism equation in indiana which continues to drive a lot of, uh, of economic activity. We're seeing golf trips from neighboring states, uh, folks coming into Indiana, the Pete Dye Golf Trail, which was established, uh, you know, kind of a trail uh, connecting all of uh, Pete Dye's signature courses here in Indiana. So golf, and, and we should mention that the pandemic Tony really did rejuvenate the golf game, uh, if you will. Got more people out, got courses uh, 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 filled up, and uh, really some courses that were not doing that well uh, are now back in in good shape. So, yeah, golf, um, without question, uh, part of a bigger picture in that tourism picture in Indiana. When when people go and and they want to experience golf, it, is it the name of the course you talk about, uh, Pete Dye? Of course, is it the difficulty of the course? Is it the other things associated with it? Do people want to golf more in Florida because you also have beaches? You want to golf more in in Arizona because you can do something else? What is what are the things around a golf course that we can start focusing on as amenities to allow us opportunities to attract? more people yeah I, I think it's a combination uh, of those things Tony frankly you know I think the uh, kind of the more accomplished those uh, those more serious golfers if you will they'll look at the name of the course the challenging nature of the course those types of things but I think for the vast majority of golfers they like to be you know outside uh, <laughs> with nature so to speak but on some of these really cool design uh, courses that are, uh, are are really fun to be on and really fun to uh, to uh, to compete on or and c- compete with yourself really but take some of these trips you know michigan uh, obviously much larger tourism budget than indiana big uh, big dollars in michigan golf is a huge uh, deal uh, in michigan and in terms of uh, as you look at the number of courses up there the weather they have a little bit cooler up there that kind of thing it, tr- it attracts lots and lots of golf trips so i think it's a combination uh, of things and i think indiana the climate here a little, little colder a little cooler obviously uh, you know can be hot in the summer uh, but I, I think the industry as a whole, the golf industry as a whole, is uh, really experiencing uh, yeah. rejuvenation. 
I'm not. It's it, it, one of the few things where it's not weather. Uh, you golfers are freaks. You'll golf in any. I saw Caddyshack. You'll do it in the lightning storm. There is nothing exactly. that's going to stop you. If a tornado was coming through, you'd be like, maybe we could get in the front nine. Yeah, I don't. I don't think the heavy stuff is coming for a while, right? Right, yeah, exactly, exactly what you'd say. You'd be like, I'm in, I'm game. Uh, Base the beer cart out, and that would be it. Yeah, so so weather is one of the few things that we don't have to, to worry about. It's just what else can we create uh, to the advantage. Also, as uh, you have been discussing, Terre Haute uh, getting itself an electric vehicle battery components plant that's going to bring in another 600-plus jobs. Yeah, and, and this is an interesting story. You know, again, one more piece of this whole electric vehicle uh, industry, if you will. A lot of money being uh, invested there. Uh, we saw last week in Kokomo, uh, the uh, Stellantis broke, uh, kind of put the first beam in place for this big uh, uh, $2 billion plant there. Terre Haute getting in on the mix. And what I think is significant there, it's a billion and a half dollar investment in tech, an Oregon based uh, company making the investment there. And they're actually saying there could be more. This could be just the beginning for this site in in Vigo County. But what I think is really noteworthy there is that Terre Haute, Vigo County, the Wabash Valley landed a big economic development deal because uh, they've certainly pursued deals over the years but just haven't been able to land one of those. They finally did here. And it adds to a, a kind of a, a, a piece of the pie, a piece of the puzzle, if you will, over there. We're beginning to see in Terre Haute, we've got a couple new hotels downtown. They've got a new convention center that opened last year. Uh, a new casino is uh, is well underway, and I think opens next year as well. So Terre Haute and uh, Vigo County beginning to get in on the uh, economic uh, economic train. On this casino conversation, every now and then it comes up that uh, why don't we uh, put a casino, you know, somewhere closer to Indianapolis? Why don't we put a casino in in downtown? And I've I, I always make the argument that, you know, places like Cincinnati or I should really say Cleveland tried uh, this. It didn't work out uh, so so great. And, and just because something is in a populated area doesn't mean that it's always uh, successful. Is there ever any real talk about a casino in downtown? Because we have this mall that no one's doing anything with and you could see some opportunities for that space. Is there ever this conversation? There is the conversation. I don't know, you know, truthfully, Tony, how seriously, uh, uh, how serious it is, uh, because that, as you well know, it's been talked about for many years. You know, there's a lot of talk about Union Station, certainly, uh, as being a right. potential site there. And you mentioned the conversation about uh, Circle Center, uh, which is, is one of the biggest issues facing, without question, downtown Indianapolis, what to do with that. And I'm still waiting. We're anticipating some sort of uh, ideas coming out of these the, this task force and these meetings have been having. But uh, I, I don't think it's, it, it, as far as I can hear, the talk is not something that's going to ultimately happen. You know, I think there are a lot of supporters of it, but I don't think, uh, I don't think it really has uh, that great a chance of ultimately happening. That right there is Gary Dick from Inside Indiana Business. Before I, I let you go, unemployment, in February. That is unchanged, and it's been unchanged for three months. Uh, Business leaders, uh, state leaders, they happy with this? Uh, You know, I think so. But, again, you and I have talked about it a lot. Uh, It's talked about all the time about this whole ability of of, uh, companies to get the workers they need. And, And back to that whole announcement in Terre Haute, that's 640 jobs. 
and and this company from Oregon coming into Indiana believes they can get those 640 jobs or more uh, here. So you, it's a kind of a two-edged sword. You hear you you hear this talk about uh, the the talent, uh, the challenge to get talent, and those types of things. But there are companies investing here and think the employment situation is one that's going to work for them. Gary Dick inside IndianaBusiness.com on Twitter at IIB. I appreciate him taking the, the time. A couple of things within that conversation I wanted to just get back to, and specifically th- this conversation about Nashville, my trip to Nashville. It was great. It was, it was 30 hours. It was fantastic. It was downtown. Uh, hit the Peg Leg Porker, which is a really, really cool uh barbecue spot uh they do pork they do chicken there there's no brisket there you know as they say at tennessee barbecue is pork and uh for some people that's fighting words and some people that's uh we don't care what you say and then everyone's got an opinion it's why you know i'm writing this book let's go barbecue it's the it's the second in the series let's let's go bourbon was the first and you can get that at amazon.com now i'm doing let's go barbecue and and I'm telling you, I'm just I, I'm not going to share with you what the first uh, sentence of the book is. Uh, how, have I done it? I don't remember if I've done it. So I'm going to hold off right now. But like, you write a barbecue book, you're just you're just opening yourself up for destruction because no one's right, no one's wrong, everything is acceptable, and nothing's acceptable to other people. It's just it's it's madness. But the story of Nashville is: look at the people, look at the excitement, look at the streets, look at the vibe. That vibe does not exist in downtown Indianapolis. It doesn't exist. It's not there. There's no vibe in Indianapolis if we don't have a sporting event. And they've got, there's Bridgestone Arena there, right? They got the National Predators playing hockey. And and, and Nissan Stadium is right there. They got the Titans playing football. It's all right there. We've got those things, man. There's no vibe. And I'm hoping that what what uh, they're doing at Gamebridge Fieldhouse and, and what Pacer Sports Entertainment is doing with, with the recreation of this creates a new center of downtown and can maybe permeate out the party and the opportunity and the enjoyment and everything else. But part of what makes this downtown Nashville thing happen, which they now call Nash Vegas... Ho, 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 ho. There are a tremendous number of sundresses and cowboy boots. Oh, I, I, I approve. I approve. Do I need to do this? Was this necessary? I, I, I do. I, I did indeed approve. People are coming down for all those kinds of things, and they call it Nash Vegas because people are partying their faces off. And the live music is everywhere, everything, right? Maybe some things we don't do here in, in Indy. But it's that they get the people coming to visit. They have some built-in advantages, the country music and all the rest. What are we doing to build our advantages now to create our opportunities for the future? Where's that leadership? And you might tell me, hey, I live in Bloomington. Hey, I live in Terre Haute. Hey, I live in, in, in Gary. We, we got our own issues. And I don't care about Indy. You should, just like Indy should care about you. It is an argument I have been making since my first day on the air in Indiana. Everything is connected. What happens in Indianapolis matters to Bloomington. If Bloomington wants to pretend that that's not true, Bloomington can, but Bloomington would be wrong. Same thing is true of West Lafayette. 
Same thing is true of Muncie and Fort Wayne and South Bend and Evansville. They are all connected places, and what happens to one happens to all. If you take a look at the the, the growth of Nashville, would you be a fool if you didn't notice how that helps Knoxville and Chattanooga? And how people utilize those as comparisons to, my gosh, what's happening in Memphis. Which is a place that should be amazing. It has tremendous history, uh, rock and roll history, food history, awful history. But it, it, it matters so much to the fabric of America and certainly matters to, to Tennessee because it, it's part of those big four cities. And, and and you want them all to be successful and one is not, it's a drag on the others. And when others are successful, it builds the other one up and it's this push-pull. What matters to one, what happens to one, happens to all. Indianapolis being stagnant is hurtful and harmful and problematic to Bloomington, to West Lafayette, to Gary, to Muncie. And Muncie and Gary not reaching their full potential is harmful to Indianapolis and Bloomington and Fort Wayne and all the way, all the rest. It is. And so the problem here is a total lack of vision leadership. Nobody who's sitting in the positions to do something about it, laying out a groundwork for the future. And part of that problem is the same people are in the positions of power in Indiana in way too many places 30 years later. And they are refusing, outsider looking in, they're refusing to hand it over. I never make the, the assumption, the statement, I never put forth the philosophy or the theory that I should be one of the people. As a matter of fact, I kind of recognize that I am more valuable to us if I'm on the outside of that conversation keeping it more on the straight and narrow just like I think there's a value to saying from right here the 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 leadership of Indiana the 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 civic leadership of Indiana of Indianapolis for example needs to change hands it does and some of these people who've been doing this for 30 years built this city they're decent people whether I agree or disagree with them politically being secondary to the conversation they're decent people who did great work and that's over and I'm not angry with you but I want you to recognize that this city has to grow we have to compete and we are losing and we don't have to we have got food we have got racing we have got sports we need to build up our arts we need to build up our music scene we need to build up our theater scene we have opportunities up the wazoo why aren't we taking advantage why aren't we working harder and it is my core belief that there are some people who are in positions of power who just don't have the juice anymore there comes a moment where you don't have it everyone is replaceable and sometimes it is necessary to understand that you're the one that needs to be replaced. I'm a radio host. I'm an entertainer. Uh, there's going to come a moment where I get replaced. Of course it's going to come. You can be angry about it or you can accept it. You can think it's not your time yet, whatever the case may be. There comes a moment. There comes a moment. 
And for the good of the city of Indianapolis, which means for the good of the state of Indiana, some people have to recognize that their moment has come. This is not about anger. This is about where we are. And right now, we're losing. We don't have to lose. We just have to make changes. We should be the capital of the Midwest. So let's go out there and be the capital of the Midwest. Losing to Nashville? Not without a fight, kids. Not without a fight. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. You showed a video in that last segment of the president on TikTok from a video shot by a celebrity inside the White House. So for the 150 million Americans who still use this app, how do you say to them, sorry, we're going to take it away? It's not on it government. It's hypocritical. It's, it's hypocritical. Not, it's not on government devices. We do have legitimate <laughs> national security concerns. We have leg- legitimate national concern- security concerns over That is just a ridiculous argument from John Kirby, spokesman for his National Security Council. Joe Biden can be on TikTok because it wasn't on a government device. It makes it hard to sell the argument. And the argument is there's a real threat here. There's a real issue here. But if you think this is bad, wait till you hear what people like Representative Ocasio-Cortez are saying. And then, oh, goodness gracious, John Kerry, I've got that one-two punch coming up for you. You just got to accept the fact that there's a real conversation that has to be had about TikTok and whether or not it should be part of our society. Got to have the talk. Find everything, TonyCats.locals.com. This is Tony Katz Today.